0: Tune in to Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys and plead allegiance to no side. Yes, that's right. We are the Geeks Watch. We are here to stand against uh, all the the news and what should be reported. (laughs) Uh, John, it's been an interesting. It's been how's it going? Sorry, I didn't mean to just cut you off there. Uh, (laughs) uh, I think it's been an interesting week. I went and saw um, X Men Apocalypse and did not like it. So. Uh, I don't say know. It ain't so. <laughs> it's true. I, I just, it, I did not feel for that movie at all. But um, uh, I, I can't wait to hear what other people have to say when uh, they go. They finally get to see it. Um, I, I, have, have you seen it yet?
1: I have not. I actually did not even realize it was out already. I thought it was still another week to go.
0: Ah uh, no! Yeah, no, they got the the Memorial Day weekend uh, uh, spot, so.
1: All right, that might be something to do this weekend then um yeah i've been hearing it's not doing so great but a couple people that i know on facebook have said that they thought it was awesome so sounds like it's another one of those I just have to go and see it for myself
0: yeah that's true that's very true so uh that directly ties into my first article of uh of news that i saw this week um because of injuries that ha- that happened during Maze Runner, the death curse, uh, to actor Dylan O'Brien, the Fox has shut down that uh, filming and that franchise. So they have uh, also thrown up on their slate two untitled Marvel Fox movies. So we can probably assume that one of those uh, untitled movies is going to be the Deadpool sequel. And for the for the other one is is up up for grabs right now. Uh, some people are saying it's the New Mutants project. Some people are saying it might be an X Force movie. Uh, while others are saying that it could be a rumored uh, Dark Phoenix saga.
1: It'd be interesting if they decide to branch that off into its own. But then again, if anything could have its own trilogy, that would be it.
0: That's, that is so true. Um, I think. <laughs> I think you're going to have to once you see the movie you're going to have to tell me what you think of um Sophie Turner as as uh Jean Grey to do a whole trilogy saga of uh, the Dark Phoenix um in her acting wise but uh I, I mean I would I'll definitely say she wasn't the worst thing in the movie um <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not I'm not bashing her acting like they really don't give her anything to do in this movie there are so many characters and that they want to focus on certain characters more than others and like they don't really showcase her acting all too much in the movie so or at least that's how I feel um but i would I would like to get your opinion once you once you see it
1: oh for sure and anybody now,
0: else's opinion if they want to write in and tell me how how wrong I am
1: <laughs> now what would you say um, obviously the movies get you know, truncated and characters get rewritten because either because they, Fox doesn't have the rights or just for casting issues and all that aside. What would you say is um, the way they handled the apocalypse storyline in here relatively okay or were the changes too drastic?
0: Um, I would say other than certain part, there are there are certain parts of, of Apocalypse and his origin that. That 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 are that are changed. Is it drastic? No. Is it a big change? Yes. Um, but I still feel like the character of Apocalypse itself was uh, still on point for what Apocalypse means in the X Men universe. You know, you know, you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, like his motivation is still there. It's still pretty much the same. Yeah. So the
1: characters't change, just the performance
0: maybe. Right. yeah. And of course, you got Oscar Isaacs as a as playing apocalypse and you know uh, everybody's kind of you know everybody's pretty much on on the Oscar Isaacs bandwagon right now. I, I did like his, his portrayal of Poe Dameron. I thought it was I thought he was fun, but that's pretty much it. I just thought the character was fun. Uh, other things that Oscar Isaac's I've seen Oscar Isaac's I don't I just don't I don't see it I don't get why everybody is so in love with him personally Yeah, he's like become the
1: the darling of Hollywood lately and you wouldn't have guessed that from his performance in sucker
0: punch <laughs> <laughs> That is too true <laughs> Um uh, getting back to X Force movie, they Olivia Munn has stated that she would love to do uh, to be in the X Force movie if they do it, uh, starring alongside Deadpool. Maybe um, I think I mean that would obviously be interesting. I also have to say for her character, for as much as she was promoted to be in this X Men Apocalypse movie, I really didn't feel like she was in it all that much. Now, do you think is, that might be because? She really
1: couldn't do anything with the material. I mean, not to bash on Olivia Munn, but she's not the greatest actress out there.
0: I don't know. Have you ever watched the newsroom? I think she did a phenomenal job in that. Sure she she acts the crap out of Sloan Sabbath. Hmm.
1: No, I haven't seen Newsroom yet, but that'll be on the list after the season of Game of Thrones ends. <laughs>
0: there you go. Give that give that show a chance and, and and tell me that you don't think she's a pretty decent actress. <laughs>
1: She, she left a lot to be desired in magic Mike I'll
0: <laughs> fair enough uh, no I don't I, in this movie I really don't think it was it's it's her fault that the character doesn't come off that great it's it's, it's really that they just kind of throw her in like all of the all of the horsemen in this movie other than magneto really are just background they don't they don't really get to have much screen time or uh, or characterization.
1: Hmm. So, what would... Uh, well, without giving too much away yet, because a lot of people haven't seen it yet, what would you say the main focus of the story was? Was it just Apocalypse versus like Xavier?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of that. It's a lot of it's a it's Apocalypse. Um, you know, basically just uh, uh, trying to show that he is the rightful mutant god, I guess you want to say, and 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 uh, and and going up against. The X Men take it upon themselves to stop him. I mean, that's pretty much it. It's kind of
1: funny how he wants the same thing Magneto wants, but to like a higher level. Yes, very much so. <laughs> uh, or at least that's how it's always been in the comics. I think.
0: Right? Yeah, and I mean that's kind of still the same. Uh, what it, the only thing to me is that in these X Men movies, all six movies so far, they've really done an injustice to Magneto's character. I feel now they've gotten great actors to play Magneto and, and every time I've watched it I think uh, they've done, a, the actors have done a great job in portraying him but I think uh, writing wise the characterization they've given to Magneto is, is not good they they keep wish being wish, wishy-washy and going back and forth on, on what kind of character and his motivations and what kind of character he is
1: Right, yeah, I've always felt like the descriptions, the dynamic between uh, Xavier and Magneto was always supposed to be Xavier was like the Martin Luther King Jr. And Magneto was the Malcolm X, you know, same goal, but different means to get there. And I feel like maybe in the first movie that was the case. But ever since then, it kind of went more like they're actually more on the same site than they realize sort of dynamic.
0: Yeah. And that's exactly and that's exactly what's happened, because every movie since uh, the second movie. Since X-Men 2, X-Men United, uh, Magneto has started off as the good guy at the beginning, and then he's the bad guy at the end of the movie, you know? Right, Just can't they can't decide. Yeah, they, they just keep throwing him... They keep, oh, well, he's such a great character, so let's make him a good guy. Oh, one thing happens, and then all of a sudden he's the bad guy.
1: Now, the one thing I was looking forward to in Apocalypse the most, because I was really not looking forward to it after I saw the Ivan Ooze design that they had for Apocalypse. Right. Um, I really was a fan of like obviously we've mentioned it before, the 90s animated series. Yes. In fact, if any of you haven't seen the uh, Honest Trailers of the animated series for X-Men, I recommend you check it out on YouTube
0: now. <laughs> and, awesome. and you also posted it on the Geekly Radio fa- Facebook, so that was good. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: one of the things I like the most about uh, the characterization of apocalypse on that show is how awesome he sounded yes he had such a deep voice and it had a little bit of a like a digital effect to his voice to make him sound even more alien i suppose right and i really like that effect and i was hoping like in spite of all the odds and how negative his uh appearance was to most people including myself i wasn't a big fan of it at first i was like as long as they make him sound like he did in the show
0: I will give it a pass. I'll, I'll give you this. He doesn't sound bad. Like to me, his design, his like they got rid of the whole purple thing. He doesn't look like news He's it's it's more blue and gray. Um, the costume has all this, you know, Egyptian stuff on there, which is new. But I really it, it that wasn't the, nothing. Nothing about the apocalypse character really upset me all that much. Like I mean, design wise, I should say not. I mean, there's part there's characterization that's 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 wrong, but other than that, design wise, I was okay with the way he looked and sounded.
1: Hmm. Oh well, it'll be on my to do list then. I have to check it out now, and I'll let you guys know what I think about it.
0: (laughs) Sounds good. Um, uh, so we uh we'd also say that this week was a big time in uh, DC Comics because. We had the debut of uh, DC's rebirth. The universe has been reborn, reborn, rebirth, reburned, reborn. <laughs> reborn uh, with uh, DC Universe Rebirth number one, uh, we did a whole, like whole half of an episode, whole uh, half hour, forty minutes on it on uh, Imagine If on the Geek Elite Radio Network. So, if you get a chance, uh, any any listeners that want to know more about that can go over there. But the news article I want to talk about is that it has been so popular that it has uh, has gotten a, a, has launched a second printing of the book, and uh, the price has hiked up on it on the second printing. It's going to be five ninety nine instead of two ninety nine.
1: Yeah, get them while they're hot, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen.
0: Yes, exactly. Get them while they're hot. Um, they're going to be this week's Chewbacca masks. <laughs> Man, I am so tired of seeing that everywhere. <laughs> kind of wish I would have bought a few, ma'am, Sold them for like three times their worth. No kidding, right? That's going to be the number one fucking ho- Halloween gift and Christmas gift, probably.
1: Yeah, who knows how
0: things catch on, man. thats just, I think it's stupid, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, don't even get me started on how things catch on on the internet. Like, that thing goes viral. The other thing that went viral this week was... Uh, the kid at a talent show and some high school talent show and he flips a water bottle it was like really um, that's that's a popular thing
1: <laughs> yeah actually just today i think or last night i saw um, someone on reddit posted a video of um, from like 1998 or something a letterman video where some girl can spit her gum and then catch it back in her mouth in like this really weird loop and she doesn't explain how she does it she just says she sucks it back in and it's now trending on YouTube wow like, really uh, Wow, like, that, it's such an old clip and it's so dumb <laughs> but I mean I guess and it's it sparked a furious debate they're like well obviously she it's, she has the gum attached to her hair on her forehead and it like that's how it pendulums back into her mouth other people are like no
0: you would be able to see it and, <laughs> really Wow, um, the, yeah, the way things just go viral is just it astonishes me. So, uh, speaking of Reddit, though, did you hear about all this? Uh, the Arrow subreddit changed its name to the Daredevil subreddit. I saw something about that, but I didn't follow up. Basically, basically because of the hate for the season finale for Arrow, which personally I I enjoyed. I thought it was I thought it was an okay. Uh, finale was it the best finale I ever seen? No, was it the worst finale? No, I've seen plenty worse. But the it, it spawned so much hate on on subreddit or on on its subreddit that I guess they decided to change themselves from an arrow subreddit to a daredevil subreddit. Wow, I mean, I, I I just I don't I don't go on Reddit enough to to under, to really understand that. Uh, I know you do. So how does? Changing the subreddit, is it, is it that hard? Um,
1: no, if, if you're a mod, you can pretty much change anything from the layout to the title of what it's called. Like, It'll still direct you there if that's what you type in, but it'll show, obviously, a different title. Um, I mean, that's not a difficult change to make if you have the rights to do so. But it is interesting that they went so far as to actually do that. That's, um well, here's the message. FFU, I guess.
0: <laughs> well, here's the message from the moderator. It says, "If you're from Our all, and you're confused why this is here, well, it's quite frankly because the show's finale sucked donkey balls, and this is what we wanted to show to be, or this is what we wanted the show to be like, not some teen romance. So here we are." <laughs> so they're basically saying Daredevil's doing it better, right? I mean, obviously, yeah. this is uh, the, what they wanted from an TV show was something more gritty about fighting crime when uh, apparently what you get is a lot of uh, Ollie and Felicity breaking up and getting back together and making googly eyes at each other.
1: Yeah, I did hear about that. The the, uh, the ending seemed really uh... incongruous to the rest of the tone of the show overall and how dark and greedy and depressing it's been. All of a sudden it's, yeah, turning into like a slight Dawson's Creek. <laughs>
0: Well I mean yeah the, this, this whole last season has been a little a little bit more Dawson's Creek than anything else, but uh, yeah the, I mean, like I said, if you get past the the romance stuff, if you just sit there with the comic books and you got to take into account if you read Green Arrow comic books, especially when it comes to anything to do with with uh, with um, Dinah, uh, the Black Canary. There is a lot of romance, especially with Ollie. Ollie's a, a huge romantic in the comic book, so it's it's not it's not it's not uh, unprecedented for there to be romance in an Arrow show.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I guess um, I'm just not used to this version of the Arrow because I always figured the Arrow was more of a jolly, you know, smiley kind of guy from other things I've seen him in. That's one of the reasons I never got into Arrow in the first place, um, as opposed to Flash, is because it was like it doesn't seem like the Arrow. Like, did I get this wrong or something?
0: Well, I mean, you take into account, yes, in the in in the Silver Age when when Oliver Queen was first, uh, you know, introduced as uh, the Green Arrow, he was very much a copy of Robin Hood. He was like right down to the suit and the hat. You know, he was. Uh, a, the, uh... I'm sorry, what? <laughs> And the boxing glove arrows as well. <laughs> well, you know that's, that's a little new, but but yeah, <laughs> I mean he was uh, uh, he he was he 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 was very friendly and he gave to the poor and all that stuff. And then you have the you know modern age Green Arrow, which just like all the other comic book characters, became a little bit darker and not so much friendly. And uh, you know I don't know about after Do Fifty Two. Uh, What happened with Oliver Queen Because I I didn't read too much of this stuff then But you know he was all Right right before New 52 he was Very much into the whole uh, Super liberal Being against corporations and all that kind of stuff So uh, he I I do have to say this Kevin Smith's run of bringing Oliver Queen back to life uh, During Quiver uh, That was a very Dark Ollie and it was a very great storyline So Uh, He's he's a character rich of uh, of of history, and it's a it's a shame that uh, the the show resorts more on the romance than it does on the character.
1: I guess I just have a hard time disassociating Arrow from like Errol Flynn. (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know you said you had some uh, news about spider-man the animated movie that's going to be coming out in 2018
1: yes yeah, so it looks like it's been confirmed that miles morales will be the spider-man in question in this new animated movie right yeah i believe they said in the report that um, the producers are saying this is going to be a complete standalone and unassociated with any of the current or future movie versions of the character so they decided to just go a completely different direction and uh do another Miles Morales, which I believe we've seen in Ultimate Spider-Man before, the animated series. Right, yes. And this will be all him now, have his own movie.
0: Right, and this is going to be I believe produced by Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Um, uh, The people who brought you Last Man on Earth, the TV show, and uh, Lego movie. Lego Movie, And doesn't he do Cloudy and the Chance of Meatballs too?
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: And then also uh, 21 and 22 Jump Street. So, take that as you will. I mean, the movie could be pretty funny. Uh, Yeah, it'll be entertaining. At the very least, it'll be entertaining. (laughs) Uh, I think the last thing I had was Tom Hiddleston is reportedly in talks to be be the next uh, James Bond.
1: Yeah, I saw something about that. I also saw that Gillian Anderson was vying for the role, but I don't think they're going to... Take that one too
0: seriously Yeah I I mean that's that's another internet thing Yeah (laughs) Now don't get me wrong I'm all about You know you can change uh, The sex of the character Or whatever you know like that If you wanted to have a female James Bond If you're going to keep the name James Bond She still has to be a womanizer Like that's part of James Bond So I don't care If you want you know A a female James Bond but she's still Got to be exactly like the male version
1: you know, that statement just made me think of how differently the one scene in Casino Royale would play out. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're
0: talking about. <laughs> I'm like, huh. How would that <laughs> but see, that's what I'm talking about. Like, if you're going to change things about the character, like, look-wise, if you want to say that there's no reason why uh, Peter Parker can't be a black kid, it's like, no, there is no reason why. But you can't change change him to be like, to, to have anything other different characteristics. He still has to be a nerd. He still has to be an outcast and he still has to have his uncle die, you know, and have a a sense of responsibility. There's right. You know, to me, to me, you know, changing the race doesn't matter. If you change the character, uh, because you change the race of the gender, then you've, you've screwed up. Right. Looking at you, Will Smith, what, what West? (laughs) Exactly. So hopefully oh, he can, yeah, that, he, he'll yeah. still be Floyd, Floyd Lawton, the character I, I've seen in the comic book.
1: Yeah, but uh, going back to Tom Hiddleston, that would be pretty interesting because um, it would be a different physique for Bond than we're used to. Most of the others have been pretty pretty buff, I guess, and with especially Daniel Craig being the most cut I've seen of Bond in a while.
0: I know, that's what I was going to say. I think that would be a, definitely a, a different take uh, on Bond after Daniel Craig, who's I definitely seemed a lot more brawler type. You know, uh, who who's to say that Tom Wilson won't if he gets the role that he won't like spend t- ten hours in the gym just working out. But uh, he would. I would definitely see him more as the the Roger Moore type um, James Bond that's more classy and and uh, debonair than than more physical
1: right i just hope that doesn't bring with it that roger moore era campiness
0: you know i hope so too that that's that would,
1: i mean they, they worked so hard on establishing this new version and i was kind of disappointed that it almost felt like they were going back to the you know the silly gadgets and the surreal villains with the strange powers yes you uh, this last one i'm like that's kind of like stepping the backwards now it, it
0: really is but then that's what you get i mean you know people who 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 say that they have been fans of bond for so long as that's what they want they want things like like uh lockjaw and you know all that or is it lockjaw what was the, the metal mouth teeth guy no, that's that's just jaws jaws sorry uh i believe
1: lockjaw is a he-man villain <laughs> fair enough
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh,
1: Hey, I saw Crossover now that you mentioned
0: it. (laughs) He-Man and and James Bond. I like it.
1: Uh, (laughs) The name's Man. -Man. (laughs) He-Man.
0: Did you have any other news? Uh, We went a little bit over than normally we do. Uh,
1: Just a couple quick things. If you're like me and you're really into the -the behind-the-scenes drama in Hollywood, things like what's going on with the production and directors who can't keep control of their... You know, set. Uh, I highly recommend the YouTube channel Midnight's Edge. They have some really extensive videos documenting everything from why the Marvel movies on Fox side have been really terrible, Um, usually thanks to a person named Tom Rothman.
0: I will. Yeah, you were you were explaining this a little bit to me earlier uh, about this channel. It sounds great. I I, I'm gonna go and subscribe to them right after we get done recording this podcast.
1: Yeah, they go into great detail about the uh, all the behind-the-scenes stuff that went on with the Fantastic Four, the most recent one, and uh, the meltdown that occurred soon afterwards. And uh, They also talk a lot about the history of Spider-Man going all the way back to the 80s and following its trajectory from the different studios and different directors, uh, such as James Cameron, who was once attached to write and direct the movie, which would have been interesting to say the least—a
0: Fantastic Four one,
1: or oh, for Spider-Man.
0: Oh, Spider-Man! I'm sorry, yeah, jumping around. No, yeah, you know, I, I remember hearing stories about a James Cameron uh, um, Spider-Man that that would have been interesting.
1: Yeah, would have been cool to see his uh, use of technology, which is some of the best still to this day that holds up. You know, right compared to other even more recent ventures. Um, but yeah, I highly recommend it. It's really cool. Um, some of the videos tend to go on a little long, but like I said, it's all really interesting information if you're into that kind of Hollywood drama stuff. And um, last bit of news I had is uh, just a little uh, like bonus thing that came up today. The Warcraft's soundtrack for the new movie is available on SoundCloud for free so if anybody's looking forward to it uh, there's been some mixed reviews so far that have been saying it's less than stellar and uh, doesn't do the games justice Um, that might be true maybe it's not, I'll have to wait and see it but so far I've listened to maybe a quarter of the tracks and they sound pretty cool
0: that's awesome And
1: as an unexpected bonus it's actually composed by the same guy that does the music for Game of Thrones
0: and do you know that name?
1: His name is—I have it right here, actually. It is Ramin Jawadi.
0: Ramin Jawadi. Well, there you go. Uh, if you are a fan of the the uh, Game of Thrones soundtrack score, you should uh, definitely give the Warcraft uh, soundtrack score a, a chance. Right. Um, That would bring us into uh, our lineage for this week. Who is it that we're going to be talking about? Who are we going to get a history course in? (laughs) Today we're talking about Varys the Spider. Varys, it's Varys, right? Yeah, Varys the Spider. Yes. So, what is it that uh, we should know about Varys? Right now he's with uh, Tyrion uh, trying to control or get control of Murray. Not get control, but like... Be in the stead, uh, uh, the uh, take Daenerys's place, I guess. I mean, I don't know how to say it. Be a substitute teacher.
1: Basically, be uh, stewarding in her pre- in her absence.
0: There you go, stewarding in her absence. I like that. All right.
1: Uh, yeah, Varys the Spider, also known as the Master of Whispers, is um, he was one of the uh, the Small Council in King's Landing. At the beginning of the series, um, but he got his start in the Free Cities as a slave as a child, he was an orphan, and he was picked up by a troop of actors, which they refer to mummers in uh, the Game of Thrones world Oh yeah anyone who's an actor's a mummer, um, not sure where the term comes from, but it kind of makes sense you know you doing your mummery, I guess yeah, kind of sounds a little bit like uh. Like uh, miming, I suppose. Yeah, a little, a yeah. little bit. That might be the root of it. Um, yeah, one day uh, while out and doing a show somewhere in uh, one of the free cities, a sorcerer buys. That's uh, gonna call him finger <laughs> Buys Varys from his troop master, and uh, for the purpose of cutting off his genitals, and you using them in blood magic
0: which we heard uh, the new priestess that we saw on this last episode the door talk about
1: correct yes she knew a lot of really private intimate details that she couldn't have known about him and that's how she got under his skin because he's usually really coy and kind of you know, about his past right yeah yes um but the way so he was given a potion according to his history um that allowed him to be completely paralyzed, yet stay conscious and still retain all feelings. So he was able to feel being cut off and then, I'm assuming, cauterized so he didn't bleed out to death. Right. Uh, but couldn't even scream. Wow. It, which is pretty messed up. Yeah. So it's stated that because of that, he's had sort of a hatred of anything that's like dark magic, blood magic, because it's kind of a traumatic memory um afterwards he was pretty much left to die and he he was filled with so much hatred over the act that he uh he vowed to stay alive and he has a little bit of a speech about that with uh, Tyrion in one of the last seasons um right I remember that season four yeah where he says you know you gotta bite your time and you know one day you can get your revenge and stuff um is that the- he got revenge on this warlock but it's That's the implication. I don't know if that was exactly who was in that crate though. But we're kinda jumping ahead of ourselves here. Okay. So we'll go back to um he vowed to stay alive, to, you know, make his place in the world. And um he resorted to several things at first, you know, because he had no money, had nowhere to go. His troop had already left by the time he was able to, you know, get a hold of his senses again. So he was basically homeless, you know, with no money. He resorted to things like prostitution. Uh, thievery, um, and eventually became a really good thief. Um, at some point, he comes across uh, a sellsword named Illyrio Mopetus. He's the character you might remember from season one, where Daenerys and her brother were staying with. Okay, yeah. He was he was the man that arranged the marriage to Khal Drogo. Um, they both began as carn artists, essentially, when... Um, they realized that they could work together with various stealing various things of value from different people, other criminals, the rich, and Illyrio basically becoming the go-to guy to get your stuff back for a small fee.
0: Okay. So,
1: yeah, they worked out this pretty interesting little con, and they grew very rich doing that, and that's essentially how they both rose to prominence. Um, during the, the years, Varys came to realize that information and secrets were even more valuable than objects and like jewels and stuff. So he started uh, training children to who were orphans as well. He started calling them his little birds. He started training them to read and to be sneaky so they could, you know, go around unnoticed. Usually people don't notice orphans in this world. Um, probably not in ours either when I came together, but, um, yeah so people just kind of don't don't pay attention to you know street urchins and that works to their advantage because they can go get around undetected they can you know read secret documents intercept important mail look at plans memorize them and then put them back without anybody realizing they're missing giving Varys uh, an almost supernatural you know knowledge of things that you know most people think he wouldn't be able to know right and at uh, towards the end of uh, the Mad King's reign, he heard of Varys' you know, pension for you know whispers and for being able to uh, find people's darkest secrets. So he recruited him to be a part of his small council. That led to you know him coming over to uh, Westeros and advising the Mad King. And he had a lot of advice for the king, which oftentimes, because of his paranoia, the Mad King would not listen to, which eventually led to the Mad King's death. Right. Uh, But he was so useful that uh, King Robert, who replaced the Mad King, decided to keep him on the council. Most people think he can't be trusted, but Robert said that, you know, it's better to keep someone like that on your side than to, you know. Make him an enemy. Yeah, dismiss him or, you know. Better to keep him on the leash.
0: Right. Um, Which, yeah, keep... definitely may, would play out best for him to keep someone, uh, 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 a Master of Whispers, like he, as he's been called, to keep on your side.
1: Yeah, and most people distrust him already because of his uh, strange appearance and demeanor. He doesn't act like a typical Lord would, you know, with seriousness. He's very kind of goofy in many ways he just has this strange demeanor about himself where he always seems pleased about something and that seems to kind of set people uh, a little bit off um, an interesting thing about his character as well is that for a very long time you really don't know what his motivations are I believe it was Littlefinger who posed the question and was like, you really can't trust a eunuch because you don't know what they want you know, they don't want the typical thing that men want. Right. So then what's their purpose? You know, why why are they doing anything? And he's kind of like a guy. you know, like I said, he's pretty coy. He kind of just smiles, says a few quips himself. But deep down in sight, he's actually a Targaryen loyalist. Oh. Yeah. From the very beginning of the series, he's actually been conspiring with Illyrio back in um, Pento's to um, get Daenerys well at first to get Viserys back in power right which was why the whole uh, marriage to Khal Drogo was arranged so that Viserys would get an army uh, an army yeah that he could bring over plans had to change when you know he died at the hands of Khal Drogo, so then Daenerys became the the object of uh, you know building up although in the books this is a little bit different than the show because in the show I don't even think they're going with this plot line There's another Targaryen. Oh, really? uh, Yes. um, It is stated that one of the children of Rhaegar Targaryen was actually switched with an orphan, and he was sent to go live um, with one of Rhaegar's best friends in secret.
0: And I Uh, think I know who that's supposed to be. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, we don't want to give out any spoilers. No, and
1: there's a lot that's not confirmed yet either. There's a lot of speculation. Nevertheless, um, so it seems to be like Littlefinger and Varys are the two biggest players of the Game of Thrones because they're the ones that behind the scenes have actually had the biggest effect on the events of the story uh, with very different results too. Because Varys has a plan, like I said, and it's a very long-term plan to get a Targaryen back in power um, because he believes that that's what's going to bring back stability and peace to the kingdom. Ever since Robert's rebellion, I mean, it's just been nothing but constant strife. Littlefinger, on the other hand, seems to be his polar opposite. He seems to be the one that wants to cause as much trouble. And then just kind of see where everything lands once it's been turned over his head.
0: Right, he kind of seems to be on everybody's side at the same time. Just so he's uh, in good with whoever comes out of the head.
1: Yeah, and there seems to be malice on Littlefinger's side, as opposed to Varys, who seems to, I mean, he he still causes events to happen that lead to people's, you know, unfortunate demise sometimes. Uh, but it's still with the uh, with the long-term plan of, you know, moving things to where they need to go, or he feels they need to go. Um So yeah, so he was in the the Small Council throughout all of the events of the show up until recently. Um, And he helped Tyrion escape from prison, uh, which he also did not count on Tyrion murdering his father, which led to him also seeking exile because everybody would know that he was the one that helped Tyrion escape, therefore making him an accomplice to murder. Right. That leaves both of them on the way to go help Daenerys now. And they happen to show up pretty much right when Daenerys takes a little bit of a leave of the kingdom, thanks to um, a failed coup attempt by the Sons of the Harpy, followed by a impromptu rescue by Drogon.
0: And there you go. It's uh, a very good, uh, you know, history lesson in in Varys and 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 uh, what what his motivations are. I Remember, there's that. You you spoke about it a little bit too when uh, he was having that conversation with uh, with Balish in the Iron Throne room and he kind of looks towards the the, thro- the Iron Throne when he when Balish asks him what's what's his motivation right right yeah so I mean obviously now as you pointed out that it's not so much that he wants to be the ruler but he kind of wants to be the person next to the ruler. Yeah, he's very happy where
1: he's at. He'd prefer it if there wasn't so much strife in the kingdom.
0: Right. So very interesting. A lot of a lot of uh, interesting to do with the whole sorcery thing and and uh, 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 his history with uh, having becoming a eunuch and, and and being a slave.
1: That's right, and um, it's kind of interesting because I hadn't. Uh, well, we'll get to that later in the episode when we get to that plot point, but seems like there's going to be a trifecta of unix in marine very soon.
0: Very yeah, it does seem like that. Um which does okay, it does bring us to the episode which is called the uh, the door. Um and I, I guess you know, we have to get to the the, the you want to get to the meat of, of the episode first, the the, the 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 reason why it's called the door. Um uh, might as well
1: and also I will neither confirm nor deny that uh, this thing made me choke up.
0: <laughs> you know that there was a lot of that that went around this this week on on the internet and social medias of uh, the feels that came from this episode. Um, I'll just say this: I had more feels. Uh, I had more feels when when Ghost got killed than when Hordor did. Oh, you mean summer? It was. Was it summer? Was it not Ghost? Yeah, that was that was summer. Oh, my my bad. So that's brand. <laughs> yeah, that was brands for direwolf. Where, where's ghost in? Ghost is. Oh, is that, uh, he's with at, John the, at the wall? Oh, he's at the wall. That's right. Yeah. I forgot that he was there. I didn't know. I thought they only had one. Oh, I guess he's more white than than Summer is. Right. Yeah. Ghost is
1: supposed to be completely albino. That's uh, why his eyes are red.
0: Ah, uh, okay. And oh. then,
1: and the rest of the direwolves had varying coloration, ranging from kind of a like a light gray
0: to a black. Interesting. Okay, so what is the name of the... Is, does that tree have a name? Uh, the Weirwood? Is that what it's called, the Weirwood? Uh, well, yeah, all of those white trees are called Weirwoods. Well, the, um, the big tree that they're that Bran and Max Van Seedau are in and they're traveling around in time or whatever.
1: No, that specific tree doesn't have a name, I don't believe. Um, it's just the one that happens to be the one where the... The uh, the three eyed raven lives under. Okay. Um, but basically, any weirwood would have uh, the same, uh, I guess, conduit to the the powers that they're using.
0: Oh, okay. I guess I didn't I didn't I didn't know that. So he could literally touch any or any one of those weirwood trees, and and he would be able to relive these events.
1: Right. Yeah. Basically, the the way it's explained in the books is that the weirwoods are sort of like a neural network. Uh, so they have uh, a combined shared experience. If you remember uh, the movie Avatar? I was about to ask.
0: It was, it's like Avatar where they uh, transfer mm-hmm. the, the consciousness from the bodies to the, to the other body.
1: Right, yeah. It's basically they're, um, they're living receptors that keep the memories of everything they live through and witness. So if you have the power to access that, then any one of these uh, will do the same function. That one just happens to be the one where the Three-Eyed Raven lived. Um, that far up north and it was also protected with the spells and all that that we can get to in a little bit
0: okay so uh max von cdow i don't know does he have a name i just know the actor's name
1: uh he's referred to as the three-eyed raven so Um, if you if you remember a lot of the visions that bran had in earlier in the series uh he would sometimes see a crow that had three eyes right uh, well, that was the representation of this character that Max von Sydow plays. Uh, I don't believe they've said if he has an actual name. Um, I think it's implied that he's, uh, besides being really old, he's like one of the first men. Um, so it's not clear how long he's been there. But it sounds like he's kind of ancient. Right. Yeah. Um, But nevertheless, yeah, all of these visions that Bran had, and there was more visions in the books than they'd had in the show, but nevertheless, it was always uh, telling him that his fate was to go up north to the wall. And he was always puzzled because it didn't make sense, but you know, little by little, then it kind of started to formulate.
0: Which kind of takes credence because it seems like uh, the Three-Eyed Raven is kind of training Bran for something uh, by taking him into these... Visions and, and connecting him to the to the weirwood uh, neuronet or whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> weirwood. <done yet. laughs> uh, he's he's um, he even at the end of it says that you know you now have to become me, um, but he asks him if he's ready and he says no.
1: Yeah, that's a very sort
0: of Yoda Skywalker moment there. Very much so. Um, He's kind of just throwing them to the wolves. <laughs> well, I mean, he, he, uh, Bran has been going on these trips with him, and, and, and we've seen them when they, uh, showed younger versions of, uh, Ned Stark and, uh, uh, other things when he saw the young Hodor when his, his name is Willis. Was that correct? I'm sorry, you, it, got really garbled for the last oh. 30 seconds. <laughs> I just said that uh, he uh, in the, the visions, they've been going into the past where uh, you saw a young Ned Stark and then you also saw the young Hodor, which was his name was Willis, right? Right. Okay.
1: So it was Walter in the books, but I think they changed it to make
0: it simpler. Oh, uh, okay. They've so... done
1: that with a couple of characters, actually. For instance, Sweet Robin is actually named Robert, after Robert Baratheon. But they didn't want to Confuse the audience so they just changed it to Robin and same with Willis uh in the books he's Walder which is the same name as Walder Frey uh uh-huh. I figured they just didn't want to
0: confuse people but yeah Willis yeah. okay uh so I guess that's another point is 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 this part that's happening un, under the tree or inside the tree uh in the books before we got to the part where the book stopped no um so this is all new territory I- also
1: Yes, all of this is new. Um, basically, the books end um, at the end of season four, I believe, when they first get to the, um, to the three-eyed raven, and Bran's all like, you know, am I going to learn how to walk here? And the three-eyed raven says, no, but you're going to learn how to fly That's essentially where the books leave off. Okay. So none of these visions, I mean, none of these trips to the past. Actually, I take that back. I do believe he does get one quick vision of his father sharpening um, his sword. Oh. And that's the same thing happens where he calls out to him, and Ned Stark kind of looks around like, "Who? Who's that? You know, who said that?" And then it kind of breaks off from that. So that was kind of established in the books that. There is some kind of strange connection with the past, um, although the extent of it hasn't really been explored. We've seen more of that now in the show because of the Hodor thing.
0: Right. right. And that uh, makes sense why in the se- in Season 5 of the TV show, uh, there's almost no brand story at all. Right, yeah. They had to
1: space that out because there was nothing to... To go off know, refer- of it.
0: Yeah. So uh while he's down there uh, they're taking these trips but now uh Bran decides that while everybody's asleep he wants to uh go and try and take a trip on his own and when he does he sees the the night king right right that's what it's called right the night king the
1: night's king and was it was what it wasn't counting on is that someone within these visions could actually see him back
0: and as he does, the the knight's king grabs a hold of him, thus leaving a mark on his arm. So now the knight's king and his his people or his uh, uh, his army can get inside the tree, which was warded against him. Correct. Um, while in there, uh, we, I guess you know we didn't talk a lot about the children yet, but they talk about how they're actually older than the first men, uh, but just look like children.
1: Right. They're basically like fairy people. It's implied that they're immortal. Mm-hmm. Um, they are most definitely magical. And um, yeah, we get the very interesting reveal of the origins of where the White Walkers come from.
0: Which they were created by the children.
1: Right. Before then, um, I believe it hasn't been really stated in the show as much, but in the books it's been stated that the legend states the 13th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch fell in love with a White Walker princess. And in the books, they're actually described as being very beautiful. Uh, oh. they, they're very, they're humanoid. However, there's something kind of elf-like about them. But the, the them joining together, it was sort of a, it was a love that was impossible because of their different species and customs and all these other things wouldn't allow it it was basically just against nature and in order for him to join her he had to give up his humanity and that turned him into the first white walker um that was how it was more or less explained in the books um so this very much contradicts that right and it's interesting to see that first of all it was the children of the forest who created them as a t- form of defense
0: and Apparently, it, they're a weapon that they lost control of. Right, because they were supposed to be a, a weapon to use against man who was encroaching upon their land. And right. and uh, now, yeah, now they have kind of become out of hand. If I could throw it back to comic books, it's kind of like uh, the Manhunters that the Guardians created before they created the Green Lanterns. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> Good pull. So, uh, so they, the, the, the Knights King and his, his men get inside, uh, the tree, um, and are chasing them down, and, uh, Bran has to take a hold of Hodor so that he can get, he can take Hodor, or Hodor can take him out, or move him since he doesn't have his legs, uh, and what's the, the girl's name that's protecting him, the archer? Uh, Mira. Mira is, uh, you know yelling to for him to, to keep moving and to help it help uh to get Hordor to help her and uh as she as they finally get out we get to the infamous lines now hold the door hold the door cuz there's a back door there's a back door to the to the to the uh, tree obviously and uh there's no lock on the outside or inside and there's all these uh um White Walkers are zombies now that are attacking and she just keeps yelling to hold the door and hold the door. But while Bran is also taking control of Hodor's head, he's also reliving a memory of young Hodor and thus creating a loop. And he keeps yelling hold the door as a child, which then becomes Hodor.
1: Right. It looks like he basically gives him a stroke or something, or some sort of embolism. <laughs> he just he keeps repeating this word he's hearing in his head, and you're right. It creates a sort of loop, which is one of the things that the Three-Eyed Ravens... It's one of the reasons why the Three-Eyed raven told him he's not ready, because he can't control uh, this power yet. So, essentially he ended up frying poor Willis's brain, and cemented this one word, or this one short phrase that got turned into just a single senseless word right and in a sense it seems like I think it was sort of implied that young Hordor also
0: experienced his death in the future I think uh, yeah that's definitely what I, I how I viewed it as that's what probably the reason why he uh it's it's all to me it, it was almost like they he replaced the older Hordor with the younger Hordor and he, he swapped the two consciousness. So the younger Hordor was in the older Hordor's uh, body, holding the door and thus experiencing his own death, which then caused the younger Hordor to also have the older Hordor's brain consciousness inside of him. You don't understand what I'm saying?
1: Right. Yeah. And the, the <laughs> that's really interesting because then it, it, it now brings time travel and paradoxes into the
0: Game of Thrones universe. <laughs> Which, you know, with a world of already blood sorcery and red gods and, and uh, 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 magic and dragons, time travel now just seems bright.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's leading to some really interesting speculation on the subreddit. Um, for example, they're saying now, what if Bran, you know, while still... Trying to uh, go into these visions and learn more about the past, accidentally gives the Mad King the idea to uh, to want to burn his kingdom by trying to warn him about the White Walkers instead, saying that you know you have to kill them by burning them. Oh! And then the Mad King, you know, he's confused by the whispers and it drives him crazy. And instead, he wants to burn his kingdom because he doesn't understand the context. I'm like, you know what?
0: Now that's very plausible. <laughs> That is that is very interesting. Plus, uh, I did think it was interesting with the whole idea of time travel now being introduced uh, with the red, the three eyed raven's character. You know, Max von Sydow saying you have to become me. Um, I mean, could that possibly be an old version of Bran? We never saw Max von Sydow actually walking. He's just kind of inside of the tree the whole time.
1: Ooh, I hadn't thought of that because. That would be a completely different form of time travel then, because now you have, like, corporeal transference of the body. Whereas in this other version, which I wouldn't say one form of time travel is more logical than another, but what are the rules? Like, they haven't really been established yet.
0: <laughs> exactly. Like, they haven't been established yet.
1: <laughs> so, like, I can get behind just the mind traveling through time and having, like, funky effects, but uh-huh. now, like... Would he have to go through a portal? <laughs> How would that work? That'd be really interesting. But um, no, I think the Three-Eyed Raven is, is is a completely different character. That's the way I'm looking at it. If they decide to go that way, then um, I mean, I hope they have a really good explanation
0: for it. It doesn't make me roll my eyes. <laughs> uh, well, I think that's the problem with any time you use time travel in a, in a storyline – uh, right now, with just the you know whispers and stuff like that, and the, and sending my thoughts back, it, you you can get behind it because it's not corporeal. But anytime they use time travel in movies or or or, uh, or TV, you you always end up rolling your eyes because it's it's such a abstract concept. But then you want it to be based in hard science, and it's and it's hard to balance the two. Uh, probably the only one that you don't is like, Back to the Future, just because it's a fun movie. <laughs>
1: No, interestingly enough, you have two former Sarah Connors in the cast of Game of Thrones. <laughs> this, so this is
0: true. You do have two Sarah Connors. Time travel experience. <laughs> if only, you know, there's a scene between the two of them where uh, someone mentions, <laughs> mentions something like that and they look at each other and don't say a word.
1: Yeah, I was, um, there's a character that hasn't been mentioned or introduced in the show yet who plays a minor but important role in the books. Um, and I was thinking if they can, I mean, it's already been played sort of by a different actress but that actress is I think now working on something else so if they wanted to bring that character back they might have to recast her it's kind of a long about way of saying um, if they could bring Linda Hamilton into Game of Thrones as this one character that needs to come back then you'd have three Sarah Connors, <laughs> and that would be awesome. That would be awesome. <laughs> uh, what, what's the name of the character? Um, it could potentially be a spoiler, uh. um, so I don't want to say too much, but it's a character that was on the show before and had a interesting exit and the door is open for that character to return, but in an unexpected way. That's all I want
0: to see for now. All right. Sounds good. Um, so yeah, that, that's where uh, most of the feels came from is the death of Hodor this week. Uh, and obviously what came, how, the, the title of the episode. Do you think that this is part of the stuff that George R. R. Martin had given to the writers of this TV show to be like, this is something that I'm going to do, but I haven't written it yet. Like, the idea of where Horley oh, yeah. got his name from?
1: Yeah, that was actually explicitly stated by the producers that it came directly from George R.R. Martin. Oh, I did not know um, that.
0: I hadn't read that.
1: Yeah, I believe I. I think they talked about it. I know I read about it on Reddit, but I believe it was also during
0: the interviews in the after-show um, specials that they do. Okay. The, yeah, I I've not read. I've never well, not watched an episode of After the Throne yet.
1: Yeah, I think they mentioned it in one of those, um, or maybe the behind the scenes um, featurette, that that was in fact one of the things that George R. Martin told them directly was, yeah, this is how Hodor came to be Hodor.
0: And why he, he and, says all he says is Hodor, and that's his name. Okay, got it. Right. Yeah. So good to know that they are still. Uh, they they're he. I mean, I didn't know. I know that they had the reports that he was gonna. He had given them a lot of information that he's gonna put into the next few books. But uh, I mean, obviously, they still would have to fill in fill in the blank somewhere. So this wasn't a blank. This was something that's from Martin.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, this isn't a creative liberty. This is them adapting. From the uh,
0: original plan, it just hasn't been released yet. Um, cool. Let's see. So, I think the other, another big part of the episode was uh, everything that happened to do with Arya this episode, and her uh, trials with the Faceless God.
1: Oh yeah, the um, gratuitous
0: wiener shot scene. This is it's true. Really. <laughs> you know, it's so funny that when the, you you have this uh, scene where she goes and watches this play, and you, basically it's the the story of when her father is killed, and how it's very mirrored of the fo- the point where how she watched her father get killed from the audience, and she's watching this play from the audience, um, and then how every like I don't know how it's how everybody sees it, but uh, how the world sees what happened that day is different from what we saw or how we see the show. Um, cause it's played up as like, uh, Ned Stark was this devious guy that was planning to take the throne away from Joffrey and stuff like that. But, uh, well, how we know exa- exactly what, or what actually happened.
1: Yeah. That was a really nice touch. How they had the, these, uh, mummers as it were, um, Kind of twisting the events for the sake of entertainment. And uh, it was pretty. Uh, it was an enjoyable sequence because of just how farciful it was, but also because it was affecting her. Very much so. And, and, a girl and he, who's supposed to be no one. A girl what? A girl who's supposed to be no one is kind of taking it personal that,
0: you know. And obviously. Making fun of her dad. and Yeah, exactly. Obviously is. Because uh, right before that scene, you know the uh, uh, the 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 guy—I I still can't remember his name asked her if uh, you know if she, what what's her name and if she belongs to anything or anything like that, and and she says no. But uh, this whole thing that's making that's making fun of her family and and definitely depicting the death of her father is getting to her. Uh, and then uh, when she goes behind backstage, and then and, and watches the actors interact with each other, and we see the gratuitous penis shot, uh, we... <laughs> which is fine. We've had gratuitous gratuitous uh, boobs and 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 vagina shots throughout the the rest of the season. So you know, if people want to see penis, then go ahead. Yeah, I'm actually um, I'm all for equality. I'm like <laughs> hey, it, just cool, but.
1: It didn't have to be right front and center of the camera. I mean it was like <laughs> just on like a fifty inch screen TV and you're like a few feet away from it, that's kinda of jarring. That's, you don't it's
0: it. it's yeah, especially when you don't expect it, it's right there in the face. Yeah. Um thankfully the Sansa actress was uh
1: was there too uh, yes, exactly. things out a little bit. <laughs> well an interesting thing about that scene as well is that when he when uh Area's reporting back because she was she was just there doing, like, reconnaissance. Right. Uh, when she reports back, she says, uh, yeah, I'll use poison. Only the, the, the murder victim, you know, drinks from her wine or whatever it was. When that was clearly not the case, uh, you saw that she was sharing her wine with the, uh, the little person that played Turian. Right. And I don't know if anybody else also got from it, but that was really interesting for two reasons. One, you know, she took it very personal. And wants to wipe out the whole troop because she thinks they're all, you know, assholes. I guess. Right. And two, Jack and Hagar uh, didn't catch her in the lie. True enough. Uh... That was a, you know, they they w- they made a big deal about showing how every time she said something untrue, she gets smacked in the face, or at the very least, they would say that no, you're lying. And this went completely, you know, unnoticed.
0: Hmm. I mean, I wonder if it's. I mean, obviously, it's a it's another test, but I wonder if that's also part of the test. Uh, I, and then I also have to say that it's interesting that she goes on to ask Jackin like, who is the one that set out the contractor who who uh, who wants her dead? And then he says it doesn't matter. But then she goes goes about it to try and figure it out herself. She says, "Oh, it's the actress that's playing uh, Sansa because she she wants to have a bigger role or whatever." Right yeah
1: she's jealous that she's not getting the recognition or the popularity
0: so obviously she lo- likes the idea of how uh, this how they run uh, their thing or like she she likes the idea of becoming an assassin but she doesn't she still is having a hard time uh, subscribing to their way of life I guess their the way that they uh, d- they uh, have to play the whole thing out.
1: Yeah, she's she's not a fan of having to divorce yourself from who you are in order to become one of these faceless men.
0: Which do you think and, that derives uh, from the fact that she became she came from a a noble family a uh, you know a family that her father was a lord you know and very much so that as a lord she was or, or or a noble family she you know it's very much you are Arya Stark you are the the daughter of Ned Stark you know you are important. We're an important family. We, you know, we, we have Winterfell and we're the Wardens of the North and all this stuff. Whereas, you know, maybe a, a, a lesser family or a poor family of, of King's Landing, you know, you're pretty much nothing already. So it's easier to divorce yourself from that to become a, face, a, a faceless servant, a servant of the faceless God. I don't think
1: that's it necessarily because Arya's always been the defiant one. And her family she never wanted to um, to fit into the you know the, the role that she was supposed to you know like they showed in season 1 you know right she didn't play with
0: dolls she went and up she wouldn't and learned to to be a fencer or a water dancer
1: yeah she was like a better swordsman than like her younger brother and better archer too and
0: but see even uh, even that being the defiant one means that she's going to be she's she has a a a i an identity as opposed to a non identity like someone that would easier to uh drop everything and not and become no one right
1: I think this is Mito's reading at this point, but I think it has to do with her not being able to let go of the hatred that she feels towards the people that have wronged her and her family okay um so to her it's still very personal and um It's almost like you have to forgive all of these people in order to truly let go and devote yourself to be a faceless person. And she's not ready to do that because, you know, there's these people that did some really mean stuff to her and her family. Especially, um, you have to also remember that she lost contact with Sansa when she escaped to, to go north to the Wall. Right. So she has no idea what's going on in King's Landing. True and seeing some of the stuff in the play about, you know, and basically being portrayed as really lecherous to her and you know just like abusing her by stripping her in public and all that stuff. Right. Um, it's probably bringing a lot of that back. I definitely think this is a test. I don't think it was an accident that Jack and Hagar, um, also referred to as "sexy murder Jesus" on Reddit. <laughs> uh, fair enough he um i this is most definitely a test I, it almost seems like the test never stops with the faceless men oh definitely it definitely, um, it like, definitely might seems think, that way. like oh this is just a
0: whatever thing but no you're probably still being tested so do you do you just as a uh prediction or a uh as things are about are are to come do you do you feel that she's going to be successful in becoming a servant of the faceless god
1: I don't think so I think she's going to get a contract to kill someone close to her be it Sansa or Jon or whoever else somebody's still out there that means something to her she's going to be tasked with you know, killing them and that'll be the ultimate test I don't think she'll pass it Although I think she's going to retain her skills, because that's not really something they can take away from you once you learn how to, you know, be really sneaky and all that. I'm pretty sure you can
0: just kind of keep that with you. But is there a punishment to not staying? Like, is like. Well, it we'll see- hasn't
1: really been stated yet. It kind of just seems like if you wash out, you just go about your business and leave. It doesn't seem like they. Um. At least not yet. They haven't shown what happens to a full fledged member. Like they haven't said, you know, once you become a faceless man you can never go back. Okay. Or uh I mean they definitely say you can't use your abilities for your own gain, you know, like everything you do is supposed to be in service of the
0: face or the the many faced god. Many faced god. Why did I keep calling it faceless god? Oh yeah, the many faced god. So <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, obviously, uh, like how they made her go blind at the beginning of the season or at the end of last season, so that's that's a punishment. But, uh, yeah, we haven't seen anything about someone washing out or, or just leaving the order altogether.
1: Right, yeah. We haven't gotten enough context or history. Although we did get a little bit of history as to how the Faceless Men got started, which was pretty interesting, um, talking about how it started as a slave in Valyria who... Um, asked for the gift and was given the ability by the many-faced god to kill anyone that wanted to die because the conditions were so terrible. Eventually, he taught others how to be, you know, faceless men. They overturned their masters. And um, it's implied very heavily in the books that that's what led to the Doom of Illyria, which destroyed the homeland where Daenerys' family was from. Mm. But that's a whole other
0: mess <laughs> interesting interesting all right so uh I think the another another big part or, I mean sorry is there another anything else that you want to talk about this part of the show this part of the episode um uh,
1: not with that part I uh,
0: think that we've pretty much covered it I think then the other part we, we now skip over to uh to pike the iron islands and the new uh the new king of the iron islands or lord of the iron islands I should say
1: yeah, I think he's referring to himself as king this time around.
0: <laughs> Greyjoy. Right. So we find out that he was the one that threw uh uh what's what's the what it was Baylon off the the rickety bridge or the, the rope bridge or whatever it was. <laughs> the rickety bridge <laughs> And uh and he he wants the the to be king himself so that he can go and marry to, uh, Daenerys and uh, become the new king of King's Landing or King of Westeros.
1: Yes. Uh, he wants to join his forces. He wants to give her the means to come back to Westeros. Um, and uh, he would be at her side with three dragons, undisputed.
0: Which is very interesting because we, we, they just had, like, when they introduced that character, they had just had this whole rousing speech from not only from uh, Theon, but from. Uh, uh, his sister as well. What's her name? Um, in the show, it's Yara. Yara. So they the, the two of them just had this big rousing speech about getting the whole uh, getting everybody in the kingdom uh, behind her as the new queen and the, the leader of, of their fleet. But uh, as soon as he makes his pr- presence known, they 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 are thrown to the side. Yeah. Well, in the books, there's a lot
1: of explanation as to why everybody sides with him instead. He makes a very convincing case uh, because he has some artifacts. Um, one of the reasons why they, they, they do mention that in the show that he's been off sailing the world. He hasn't been around. So, like, why should anybody listen to him? Right. Well, he has been sailing around the world because he's been looking for things to help him to his uh, goals. Um, one of the places he went to was the Doom of Valyria Where he came back with a horn that's supposedly giving him the power to tame dragons. So he's uh, planning on using that, and it hasn't been proven whether or not it actually works. The only thing they've said is that anybody that blows into it, their lungs get burned out. Wow. But he says that he knows how to make it work and how to, you know, that he's going to use it to take Daenerys' dragons, whether she wants to or not. You know, he'll have control of them, which means he'll have control of her, and her armies, and all of that. So, he makes a really good case, and everybody can't help but just get behind him. In the show, it's not as conclusive. Nevertheless, everybody does vote for him anyway.
0: I mean, in the show, they make it out to the point that, you know, uh, they make a point to, to say, why should we follow her? She's a woman, when we can follow you know, Theon, the actual son of uh, uh, Baylor, but so it almost seems that like they're 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 ready to, for just any man to come up and, and be the the leader before her, but then they make a good case for her to be the new, the new leader. But then all of a sudden this guy shows up who's the brother of Baylor, and all of a sudden oh no we're going with him. I mean that's the the way the show kind of portrays it. Yeah, but ultimately the joke's on him. He gets the crown, but he loses all of his ships. Loses all of his shit. Oh, that's right. Because yes, so then that, you have uh, Yara and uh, Theon going during the ceremony, which uh, was interesting to me because I I didn't realize uh, that's what you have to do to become the the king of the Iron Islands is to basically drown, uh, which makes sense because they worship the drowned god and uh, their their uh, what what slogan or whatever it's called is uh that which is dead or that. Cannot die, which is dead or whatever it is. That which <laughs> is, is dead, dead cannot die. die. Yeah, that... what is dead may never die. Yeah Which rises harder and stronger, or something like that. So you know that makes sense. You know they they see it as that that he already died drowning, so he can't die again, right?
1: Um, right. In the books, they they explain a lot more about that ritual and what it means. Um, they're also supposed to give you CPR. <laughs> when they drown you because it's, it's sort of a rite of passage. Almost everybody who's ironborn it needs to be drowned at least once um, so that they lose their fear of death and so that they become basically anointed uh, when they go out to sea. Um, and the, the priests uh, are supposed to give you the breath of life which is I guess some sort of rudimentary CPR. Right. However, yeah, in the show they basically just leave it completely up to chance whether you come back or not from the looks of it
0: i mean yeah i think that was uh, i mean obviously i think they did that for the tv show because it's more dramatic to than having someone jump on there and start doing cpr to the person but it shows more of a uh a destiny i guess or a calling that if if he didn't if he didn't cough up the water then he's obviously not good enough to be king It <laughs> wasn't worthy yeah so. I mean, yeah,
1: it's definitely more badass, I have to say. <laughs> uh,
0: it was a very interesting scene. I, I'll have to say that. Um, uh, so, yeah, that now he says to go and, and have them start building a ship because he wants a mighty fleet to go across the narrow seas to meet with uh, Daenerys and show her that, look, we have boats. <laughs> Marry me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: marry me. I have books. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So that's the plan. Um, at this point, because we're already halfway through the season, it'll be interesting to see if they can get their fleet of a thousand ships ready in time. Uh, I think what's going to happen instead is, uh, they're going to go. Theon and Yara will do exactly what, uh, Euron wanted to do, which is go to Marine, present their fleet. And, uh, you know, you join their forces.
0: That will be uh, an interesting uh, joining of forces. Then, uh, I mean, just just the pure aesthetic of all the different people that are that will be on Daenerys' side at that point. If you if you did that, I mean, you have the the, the Dothraki, and you have the Unsullied, and you have uh, the people of Marine, or at least you know, the the free ones that want to be on that want to fight for her and. Uh, The freed slaves, the freed slaves, and then you have uh, uh, now you'd have Theon Greyjoy and his sister and whoever else uh, that they got to follow them.
1: Yeah, and that's what I was mentioning earlier is that if that's the way they go, then you're going to have three eunuchs on the side of Daenerys, um, with very different backgrounds, but each bringing something to the table, and you're uh, Theon possibly gaining his confidence back you know seeing that you know just because you've been mutilated in that way you know you have there you know the unsullied or some of the fiercest warriors on the um uh, on in the, the, in the 7 and, kid, yeah and uh you know what's his name um Varys, we talked about earlier it's you know practically it's, the third in command of this entire kingdom they have going on
0: and um and you're right because I mean it, it would he I guess those would be great examples for him to show that he can be more than what he was uh or be more than what he thinks he is just because he's a eunuch or or whatever but I mean I, and and obviously helping him get over the fact that ramsey Bolton broke him into many pieces uh but the fact you know just him giving that speech was very much showing that he's getting himself like, getting confidence back, or at least getting, uh, you know, a place in this world, instead of being Reek.
1: Right, yeah, and he's going to shed that, I'm sure, and find his uh, his
0: purpose again. Which then, okay, so I would say that would bring us to the last part of the show, the last big part of it, would be uh, just what happened with uh, a Tyrion and, and Varys and and, and uh, the... the the new priestess of of the, the the light god, the god of light.
1: Yeah, rulor, the god of fire. God of fire, called.
0: okay. Uh
1: the lord of light. Um so yeah, it's interesting because uh, Tyrion is on the streak of like spreading diplomacy and making deals wherever he can and trying to, to get the priest to spread the word of Daenerys that she's the one true ruler and she is like yeah, we know. That's why um, we're already preaching about her and all that stuff. You know, she's the prince that was prominent or, or something like that. To which Varys being somewhat incredulous and obviously not trusting of, you know, people with magic. He was like, yeah, well, that's what, you know, the red priestess on Stannis' side said, and last we heard, he's now dead, and, you know, what was that all about? And that's when she clarifies, you know, the priests are still people, and they can misinterpret the signs, but you know, what more signs do you need? She has the dragons. She's freed the slaves. You know, she's the one. Then she freaked them out by telling him his past, and you know, <laughs> I'm sure he
0: didn't like it. Which, you know, I also have to say is that I think ravens, uh, they, they, they fly pretty fast in this world. I mean, they get all the way from Winterfell to Marine to tell Varys that Stannis has been killed in battle, I mean, that's got to be pretty quick. Well, they're even better than Weirwood.net.
1: <laughs> uh, I guess so. <laughs> it's like Raven Express or something. Uh, yeah, so... and it, A lot of the the time factor, I think it's a little bit fudged for the sake of, you know... Yeah, for the time. sake of a show, yeah, yeah. But yeah, a lot of things kind of tend to spread quickly. It doesn't
0: seem realistic considering... There's yeah, a... like,
1: they have ravens as a main means of communication for a <laughs> yeah. lot of these long distances. And
0: apparently people, you know, are very much ready ready to intercept ravens or kill them, just like Sansa says she doesn't want to send a raven uh, because um, uh, Ramsey might intercept it or something like that.
1: Oh, that's right. We also had that little interaction with Sansa and Littlefinger.
0: Yeah, that's right. I, we, we did have that. Yeah, Which...
1: she called them out on... Um... Like, pretty ballsy, too, the way she did it, where she basically said, Look, this is what you did to me. Did you know that's what you were sending me to? And he swears, and I think it's been stated elsewhere, that as far as the character's concerned, he did not know that Ramsey was that much of a douche. Yeah, but so, how how
0: could he not know? I mean, he, that's his whole thing, is that he knows things, just like various.
1: Um, to some degree, but he's not as deeply entrenched with how people are. Like when he sees an opportunity, he jumps on it without really thinking too much about the repercussions, it seems, Um, or at least as long as he doesn't end up, you know, on the short end of the stake. Right. Okay. Fair enough. So he's kind of impulsive in that sense. Um, It seems like he's trying to a make things right, but also trying to tip the balance in his favor by introducing the fact that the, the Knights of the Vale are now available. Mm hmm because he got them to rally thanks to his, you know, manipulation of Sweet Robin. Right. Um, and it's also interesting that is now starting to play the game as well by not revealing to Jon Snow that Littlefinger gave her this information.
0: Right. It, it is very interesting, and I think that, uh, I like, this, this once again, like how I brought up the whole thing about Hodor... Uh, I wonder if this was some of the information that Martin had given to the writers, saying that uh, you know Sansa would have this degree change in her personality. Because, I mean, obviously, yes, going through what she did with Ramsay would have her uh, very much look at uh, Peter Baelish as a as a bad person. But before that, she was all about being around Littlefinger and and lear- and I don't know about learning from him, but she helped. She was implicit in in the death of her aunt with Peter.
1: Yeah, and, and she corroborated his story. Exactly. Was,
0: yeah. So...
1: Yeah, it, it seemed like she was on Team Littlefinger, and um, not so much now, but there's still a little something there because, she, like she said, she could have ordered Brienne to just cut him in two, and she didn't. She's holding back, and she's keeping him around for something. Fair enough. And that could be either because she has some sort of machination where she'll get revenge later after she's had, you know, after he served his purpose or worst case scenario, she actually kind of gets some kind of Stockholm syndrome with him and actually cares about him, which I mean, it's not outside the realm of possibility. I would just really hate that to be her motivation.
0: Yeah, no, I would too. Uh, there, there you go. I don't know if there's any, is there anything else about the episode that you wanted to talk about? Um, that's pretty much it.
1: I think we covered all the major plot points. Uh, the North looks like it's going to start seeing some action really soon. Very much um, so. So we'll have to look and you know, wait and see. And um, I have it on good authority. There's some good rumors circling about that we're going to see some long lost characters making a comeback very soon. So
0: stay tuned for that, and we'll probably give us a lot to talk about very soon. There you go. So uh, that's. All we have to say about the Game of Thrones, The Door, uh, Season 6, Episode 5. And uh, if you have more that you want to talk about, drop us a line. Uh, I'm on Twitter as at agent underscore of the underscore bat. I believe John has gotten himself a Twitter this week. Yes, finally. I am at magic bollocks. Bollocks. I like it. (laughs) So find him on Twitter. And, uh, you know, if you want to ask him some questions, he's obviously a... Uh, a well of knowledge for the Game of Thrones and many many other things so don't don't feel you need to just stay there Game of Thrones um, I'll talk about just about anything <laughs> and we have uh, at geekleet radio on Twitter geeklyet radio uh, on Facebook is the Facebook page where a lot of the uh, of our discussion happens uh, for this and many other subjects and dot radio.com is our website where you can check out some of the other podcasts uh, that we do on the network plus, archived podcasts of this particular podcast. So, I can say podcast at least three more times, but I don't think I'm going to. (laughs) Uh, that is, that is all we have to say this week. Tune in next week when we, uh, come back for the next episode, and, uh, whatever subject that you want us to talk about, or any news that you hear, uh, drop us a line, and, and we'll try and get the information for you. So, John, uh... This has been the geek, the Geeks Watch on the Geekly Radio Network saying always remember to geek out. Geek out. We now return you to your regular...